And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal podcast is on the air. We are the official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com, which I know you are visiting regularly for our outstanding news stories. Many of them written by the lovely and talented Linda Stein, our news editor. Linda, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Michael? Well, you know, I'm not as good as the people who live in Chesterbrook because they're the best place to live three years in a row. Is that right? They're, that's what they're saying. Yes. Well, no, that's what an independent organization has said. And so we're going to be talking to some of the people in that uh, little, uh, little uh, lovely town about why they are the best place to live in America and how much it's costing them to bribe the judges under the table. So we're going to break that scandal open right here on uh, the Delaware Valley Journal podcast, which, by the way, you can also get sent directly to your email box in our newsletter that goes out twice a week. Just go to DelawareValleyJournal.com and there's a little box. You can sign up for it right there. And of course, follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. So what is going on in Delaware Valley politics and public policy? Who better to ask than Matt Briette? He is the president and CEO of the Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Hey, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Or should I say bonjour with that obnoxiously French <laughs> last name of yours? Oh, it's fine. Oh, yes, I have a French last name. I don't speak a lick of French, uh, <laughs> but I'm half Czechoslovakian, so go ah, figure. <laughs> that's, now that's a mix. Half yes, French and half Czech. Yikes. That's uh, I'm a good scary. mutt. I'm a good mutt. <laughs> so um, from the standpoint of the uh, Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs, what are the top couple of uh, public policy issues that you think are the most significant at the moment? Well, uh, you know, it's funny that they don't seem to change a whole lot because Pennsylvania seems to be quite resistant to, to big change, but <laughs> I think change is on the horizon. Uh, the way that we look at things, it's, it's quite simple. Uh, you know, I represent uh, entrepreneurs, people who create wealth that uh, provide jobs uh, and are the ones risking capital um, and pay a lot of taxes in Pennsylvania that uh, fund a lot of government. And um, when we look at uh, government spending, 80% uh, of, of our tax dollars really go into three areas. It goes into education, uh, it goes into welfare, and it goes into corrections. Uh, that's where eight, uh, you know, eight, 80 cents on the dollar is being spent in state government. So when we look at the, the top policy issues, we say, um, hey, it, we need to fix uh, some of these areas. We need a better uh, return on the investment of the tax dollars we're paying. And mm -hmm. uh, maybe we can actually do a better job when it comes to educating kids or keeping people out of uh, generational poverty or cyclical, uh, you know, imprisonment uh, that, you know, that uh, uh, revolving door going into our, our, our jails and correction institutes. Uh, so we really try to tackle those areas and focus on them because we think that's what will lead to uh, the greatest human flourishing, uh, mm -hmm. both for families uh, and for businesses uh, right here in the Keystone State. And so the education debate, if you do it as a, in a thumbnail, which is all my tiny little brain wattage can handle, by the way, Matt, is uh, either government schools, great, give them more money, pay teachers more, woefully underfunded schools versus uh, school choice is great. Let the funding follow the student, not the system, set them free. Uh, two questions for you. One is which approach do you think has the most data to support it? And number two, which argument do you think has the uh, political momentum at the moment? 
Yeah. So let me just, by way of uh, some background, uh, I'm a former teacher. That was my first career. I taught uh, middle school, high school uh, history. Uh, so I, uh, I understand our education uh, system, its importance, uh, and I'm passionate about it. It's really what uh, made me make the career change was just education policy in general and the need for, uh, I fall in that ladder camp, Michael, uh, of funding the child rather than systems or, or buildings. Um, and it's, it's quite simple. I mean, you can say that, uh, you know, education is different uh, than business and it, and it in fact is, but the economic incentives uh, are not different. Uh, incentives matter, no matter whether you're providing education or, or, or uh, building a product or providing a service. And right now the incentives for the system uh, unfortunately are not in favor of kids and not in favor of taxpayers. Uh, Pennsylvania already spends in the top 10 per student in the country and uh, more than $3,000 uh, per student uh, more on the average expenditure in the country. Uh, at $19,000 uh, on average in Pennsylvania, uh, it, I think the argument that we don't spend enough or that we're underfunding the schools, that taxpayers are not paying enough, um, it, it, it's not backed up by the data. It's not backed up uh, by what you see happening in schools, uh, even in Pennsylvania, that are uh, spending far less than that. And so I think the data uh, shows, and I think we're also uh, coming to realize, given what COVID, uh, I guess the silver lining of COVID was that you know, a lot of parents uh, got a better inside look of what's going on in, in their children's schools or what's not going on. Um, and I think all of this is leading us towards this approach that we're going to start funding kids rather than systems. And I think that that would uh, uh, bring about the kinds of uh, changes that are just absolutely necessary. And there you have it, folks, Matt Briette, pro-COVID. You just heard it. He's pro-COVID. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Linda Stein, you have a question? Yes. Hi, Matt. Um, well, I was wondering, your organization's endorsements carry a lot of weight for candidates, and you've endorsed Bill McSwain for governor and um, Carrie Del Rosso for lieutenant governor. Um, how do you pick your candidates that you decide to endorse? Yeah, so uh, for, for our organization, uh, we uh, take the approach of not who do we think who can just win uh, the you know, uh, primary election and the general election. While those things are very important, uh, we're most concerned about who will govern well. And so we went through a very thorough process and got to, I got to know uh, all of the candidates uh, quite well and uh, all of the top contenders interviewed with our board of directors and spent time. And then I spent uh, subsequent time. And uh, so for, for us, uh, our final call on both uh, Bill McSwain and Carrie Del Rosso is that we believe that they were the ones who shared our principles and the policies that flow from them. They are electable, that they could win both the primary election and the general election. And that most important for us is that they would be capable as governor and lieutenant governor. Uh, and we believe that not only will they be able to make uh, good decisions themselves, but they will surround themselves with good people. Uh, because we know that uh, 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 personnel equals policy and policy is driven by your personnel. And so who you surround yourself with and who will be part of your administration 
is uh, is very critical. And so we went through that process. And for us, uh, while there were good other good people uh, that are running, and uh, and I got to know them quite well, and it wasn't a, an easy decision for us, uh, but it became a very clear decision that that uh, Bill and Carrie would make the best administration for Pennsylvania's future. Uh, do you plan to endorse anyone for the Senate? We do not. Uh, Commonwealth Partners is, is focused uh, just on state level uh, offices. So from the governor on down to the uh, Pennsylvania House and everything in between. So uh, while we're certainly talking to the Senate candidates and they have an impact on these things, uh, we don't have a federal uh, political action committee, uh, so we won't be making any endorsements there. And I'm also wondering uh, why you founded Commonwealth Partners. You were with uh, the Commonwealth Foundation before, right? That, that's correct. I ran Commonwealth Foundation, which is a policy think tank. I uh, did that for 14 years. Uh, and so five and a half years ago, a little over that, uh, my board chairman, who is David Berensfeld, who's a, a businessman in, in uh, the northwest part of our state, uh, we founded Commonwealth Partners because we recognized that if we wanted to see the kinds of public policies that uh, we were advocating for at Commonwealth Foundation, that we needed a more, um, uh, I guess, muscular political arm. Uh, we're not the party. We're not the, the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. We're really driven by the principles of, of free markets and uh, uh, the conservative uh, agenda that uh, we believe is what makes uh, everyone have the opportunity for prosperity. And so uh, we were we founded ourselves to uh, bring some of that political uh, punch to our policy agenda, believing that uh, when our members uh, work collectively uh, and deploy resources strategically, that we can help elect a better people to op office. And we like to say that we're looking for the people who uh, uh, you know, we'll go do the right thing. We don't have to uh, twist their arm or hold their hand, but we want to find those men and women who are beholden to no special interests that are coming to Harrisburg for the right reasons and sticking around to fight the good fights. So when you look across the Delaware Valley, Buckchester, Delaware, and Montgomery counties, do you see a lot of support for free minds and free markets? Do you see a lot of people who want to see government influence rolled back and individual uh, responsibility increased? We, we do, in fact, uh, even in the southeast uh, part of Pennsylvania. In fact, that's where some, most of our support comes from. Uh, but we also see that, uh, you know, when you go below just the surface lev level of labels of Republican or Democrat, and you start talking about these values, this idea that parents should be able to choose the best education for their system uh, or for their children, uh, rather than bureaucrats in Harrisburg, or simply because we've drawn lines and you live here, you must go there. Um, when you start getting uh, beyond just the labels, uh, we find there's far more support for our policy ideas than those who say, no, we're, we're not going to let parents make those kinds of choices. Or no, we think government can better spend your money and we need to raise taxes on your family in order to empower bureaucrats to make those decisions. So uh, we believe that, and, and polling shows this, uh, frankly, Michael, that, uh, that uh, people are, uh, uh, share our conservative or free market values uh, when you can move beyond just the, the sound bites and, and political labels. So tell me an idea 
that, uh, you know, in the past would not have been embraced by an average, say, suburban voter in the Delaware Valley that you think today is either at least up for debate or if not even one that's been, in, you know, that they can wrap their arms around? Yeah, so I, I can think of a few. I think education is certainly headed that way, Michael. I think we're definitely seeing that. Uh, and I have to tell you, I've seen more and more, uh, you know, people who would say, yeah, I'm a, a pretty staunch Democrat, but uh, I really don't like how my school operated and the decisions that were made. And I think I should have options for my children's uh, well-being. So I think we're, we're in the middle of that. Uh, we're seeing that. Uh, and we're certainly seeing it in the polling of where people are, are, are landing on those kinds of issues. Um, one that I think that, that has been an interesting dynamic that we were certainly part of when I was running Commonwealth Foundation and even continuing to this day uh, is the area of, of criminal justice reform. You know, it used to be that, uh, um, you know, we need to do the, the uh, lock them up and throw away the key. And uh, there's certainly been an adjustment there of saying, look, we know that 90% of the people entering our, our corrections institutes are going to come out the, you know, the back door. They're, they're not staying in there forever. And so we need to do a better job of truly uh, rehabilitating people and recognizing they're coming back into our communities. And so I think that that's one area that we've seen um, uh, you know, bipartisan or transpartisan, however you want to say it, uh, that that uh, we've moved beyond. Please, please, please don't of, say trans. Do you, <laughs> you understand how much hate mail we're going to get from across <laughs> the spectrum now that you've said transpartisan? It's going to be a real problem. Then you can have Republicans competing as Democrats, and then the Democrats can complain because they can't compete. This is just not good. Got it. Got I know it. for you Let's French types, that. it's no hey, big you, deal. You got editing control, so it's up to you, Michael. <laughs> your, your, your choice. Go ahead, Linda Stein. You got another question for Matt? Well, I was just wondering, Matt, uh, I saw in your biography that you used to coach football and baseball. Um, do you bring those coaching skills to what you do now? Uh, I, that's a great question. I, I have to tell you, I do bring the competitiveness that, uh, that I had as an athlete myself and, the, and then a coach. Um, but, you know, and, and jokingly, uh, I used to say I left uh, the middle school classroom for the more juvenile world of politics. Um, and, and, and most people get that, even the, even the politicians uh, understand that. Uh, but yes, absolutely. And in fact, I like to see myself uh, as still being in the educator coaching mode. Um, to, because look, we got to be able to explain these concepts and talk about them. And some of them are, are controversial simply because uh, this is the only way we've ever done things. And we're trying to think outside the box. I mean, I think uh, public education is one of those areas that is really, really hard for people to think about having a marketplace in education where, uh, you know, customers are empowered, that they're not just you know, assigned to a school because of where they live. And I think that that can be a difficult thing. So yes, I think I'm, I, I try to bring um, whatever skills I have as an educator and coach uh, uh, to this policy world. Uh, I want to wrap up with a broad, big picture uh, because uh, you've endorsed candidates in the Republican primary and obviously the Bigfoot in the Republican primary is former President Donald Trump. And my question, two questions, this, what impact do you think the Trump legacy is still having today for 2022. You forget the past, you know, where we are today. And secondly, 
do you agree with people who say that he's revealed that there's a significant part of the center-right coalition that doesn't embrace free markets, that they like industrial policy. They want, um, you know, for example, American producers to be favored. They have no problem spending money, collecting taxes from one group and giving them to another. They just would pick different groups than their opponents across the aisle. And therefore, you are you, you represent a minority inside the viewpoint of the modern Republican Party. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Michael. In fact, we've even been asking that question in some of our polling is, is saying, hey, are you a traditional Republican? Are you a Trump Republican? Um, or, you know, finding out, like, where do these lines cut? Basically, I think that right now you, you've, you've seen a core of the Republican Party. It's about a third that are, uh, you know, Trump uh, enthusiasts, that, that he's the one who got them engaged uh, he's the one who keeps them engaged, that they're, they're a, a very strong and vocal uh, faction within the Republican Party. They're not a majority, while most Republicans still hold a high opinion of, of Donald Trump, um, or, you know, they're certainly comparing it to uh, the current president. Um, and I think there's a lot of buyer's remorse, even as we're seeing that, that uh, they may not have liked his style, but they certainly appreciated the substance, uh, especially time when they're filling up their cars, they, they get that. Um, so uh, he is definitely an enduring impact. Um, but look, the, these, this is where we're about the principles and the policies. We're not about the, the, the personalities. And so for us, uh, we want to keep talking about the important things that impact people's lives, not our past president. I lied. I have one more question uh, because you mentioned, well, you mentioned Biden. I just reminded me yesterday, three national polls came out. The uh, Republicans battleground poll, which includes uh, the first and six districts in Pennsylvania, you know, in the Southeast corner uh, and as well as other, you know, basically the congressional districts that are, you have a chance of winning on either side. Biden's approval rating is at 40, 41%. Then I don't know if you know Ann Seltzer's work out of, uh, she, she was with the Des Moines Register for years. She had a poll yesterday that I couldn't even, I had to double check when I saw it. Biden approval, 34%, which I've never seen except for Trump right after January 6th, which you know, he was basically out of office. At the, I've never seen a sitting incumbent trying to govern president. And my question for you is, you know, setting aside your partisan hat, just looking at it as a fan of the game, what will happen in Pennsylvania if Biden is really in the 30? I mean, I've never seen a midterm where the president's approval was in the, even if it's 39, yeah. I'm trying to, even tr Trump was like at 41, two, whatever, you know, uh, 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 Obama was kind of, you know, kind of at 45, 45, and the Democrats lost 63 seats in 2010. What happens in Pennsylvania if Biden's numbers remain in this ballpark? Yeah, and, and and I guess the 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 follow on is that is is he going to be able to do anything to lift them up? I, I, and I'll answer that last one first. No, I don't. I don't see any real way that he's going to elevate those numbers. And so, what does that look like in Pennsylvania? Well, all of the people that uh, I'm talking to, pollsters and folks that are paying close attention to this, um, they uh, right now, like if 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 the election were held today. Um, it would be a greater wipeout than what we saw in 2014 and in 2010, of course, was the big Tea Party year, uh, that it would be worse for Democrats than uh, those two, uh, in, you know, um, 
tsunami years, if you will. So uh, it's going to be very difficult. Uh, this is where, obviously, uh, the Democrats wish that they could uh, get some traction on other things. But when, you know, the economy, I mean, that's what's dominating this, Michael, is that the economy, inflation, gas prices, uh, you know, when you go to the grocery store, feeling that is all of those things. Those aren't transitory, as as uh, President Biden uh, has said. They're they're sticking around, and people are feeling it. Yeah, I just you, you think about. Uh, uh, I was talking to some people who are supporting Representative Houlihan, and they were talking about, but she's done this and she's done that. And I said, do you understand that in a wave year, it doesn't matter. That's why it's a wave. Because if people right. aren't voting for Houlihan, they're going to say when you say Houlihan, they're going to say who. They're just there to vote out the people they're mad at. And so in 2018, a bunch of Republicans got voted out. In 2006, a bunch of Republicans got voted out. People weren't saying, hmm, where are you on this issue? Or did you get that federal funding we needed for a local? No, they were just saying, how do I throw people out? Yeah. And, I, and, and if you're in the 30s at the top of the ticket, I don't know that any messaging can penetrate that well and look that you know the democrats ran against president trump uh and want to continue to run against him uh because they believe he's the the best foil right. uh that they can prop up uh i'll guarantee you republicans are going to be running against <laughs> joe biden all the way down the ticket uh so you're going to see him in the mail on tv because uh he's the republicans foil to be sure Hey, listen, uh, Matt, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks. Take care, guys. Thanks, Matt. So please welcome to the Delaware Valley Journal podcast from Tradiferin Township, Bill Martin, the township manager, and David Miller, the township supervisor. Gentlemen, welcome. So glad to have you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yes, appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. So three years in a row now, a little corner of your community has been named the best place to live in the country. That's the part that just amazes me. Uh, tell me about Chesterbrook and why it's the best place to live. Sure. I'll, I'll go first since I lived here for almost 28 years. And I would say mix and balance. It's a great uh, mix of different types of housing. So we have condos, we have townhouses, we have single family homes. Um, there's lots of recreational opportunities. We border Valley Forge National Park. We have Wilson Park, which is a big township park in the middle of the community. And we have the Pick a Post Swim Club, which provides pool, you know, swimming and tennis and paddleboard. Um, we have a great school district. I'm sure different uh, East Town School District is one of the top rated school districts in the country. Um, low crime, access to jobs. There's lots of uh, ways to commute into Philadelphia and to the surrounding area here. And this is where great access to shopping and restaurants. So it's just a wonderful place to live. Lots of, lots of opportunities for almost anybody who wants to be here. Plus it's a diverse community. And I have neighbors from all over the world. I think my wife, I was talking to her this morning. She reminded me that her book group has three people who became US citizens while they lived here. Um, so it's just a lot going on in Chesterbrook. Okay, David Miller, come on. There's 18,515 18, towns in America. And for three years in a row, little Chesterbrook is number one. I got to tell you, what I'm hearing from Malvern and Upper Worthington is that there's some money going under the board. Can you, can you address <laughs> the allegations that there is some Vegas money pouring in on this? That's not a level playing field. I mean, we're talking about sore losers here, I think is really what's going on. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely what I would say. 
I mean, I, I, I can look out my, my windows of my house and see the Dupertai house, which is where George Washington and, and his generals play in the defense of Valley Forge Park. It's just a beautiful place to live. Uh, How about a Bill Martin? Yeah. Uh, look, I, 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 I agree with David on this one. I mean, one of the, the beauties of this community is it's, you know, it has all these things that you could, you might get in pieces of other communities, but you touch the historic part, you have various housing stocks, you have great commercial. I mean, one of the beauties, this was a planned community in the 1970s that incorporated uh, uh, corporate development along with residential development and has the great spots right on 202. You can access any, anywhere in the country pretty quickly. You have all the resources you need, gateway shopping center, all the things are here and you can get the places you need to go. So it's a great community and uh, we're very proud of it. So we're happy to keep the street going. Um, I was wondering, David and Bill, do the low taxes in Tredifferin have anything to do with it? Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's, I think I started by saying there's a nice balance of everything and low taxes is part of that balance. I mean, it's a, it's an affordable place to live. Uh, the township has done a great job of providing good services at a very reasonable price. Um, so low taxes definitely have something to do with it. I mean, it's, it's everything, you know, you don't, it's, it's, um, you know, you want to have the right balance and that's what, that's what Chesterbrook has managed to pull off very, very effectively. Plus geography wise, it's a wonderful, beautiful location. Well, talking about beautiful, I mean, we have a lot of very attractive suburbs in the Philadelphia area. Um, for example, Newtown Square over in Delco or maybe Upper Makefield in Bucks County. So you listed some of True Difference assets and Chesterbrook's assets, but come on, really? <laughs> yeah. How many places, residentially wise, you could border a national park? You have Wilson Farm Park, one of the, the greatest regional parks the municipality has provided it's a great location you have all those things you have all kinds of recreational activities really within your within your grass right here so it definitely we're happy about it we're certainly not going to complain we've gotten the accolades and hopefully it will continue so we're certainly proud of all the things we have near us for sure yeah and you know you I, mentioned I, I appreciate that you guys credit the fact there's certain things that you just you know you're fortunate to have you know colorado has the rockies and florida has the beaches and so you guys got a, you've got proximity to philadelphia you've got some natural beauty etc some some history overlap but there are public policy aspects linda mentioned taxes if uh, another town in the delaware valley came to you and said what are one or two smart things that we can do from a public policy standpoint to help our town be more livable that aren't, obviously you want to say, well, what magic wand your schools will get better tomorrow. I mean, just, you know, you can't do that, but what are some things that you would say where, where townships could look? So I'll, I'll go for it. So I don't, in, in 2008, after the first most recent economic recession that we faced, um, the board at the time did an e-consult, they hired a consulting company come in and do a study of what, you know, what make, what, how can we compete in the region? And right. one of the things you pointed earlier was our, our low tax rate. Um, being economically savvy with how you use those resources, right? Providing for, you're going to need to provide for resources, but be creative about it. We've done a great job of, you know, of uh, balancing our, our any tax increases for what kind of services we provide to our residents. It's being creative, um, investing in the infrastructure. Um, we're replacing bridge and culverts. We're having, we're investing in our park system. So, those investments go to make a community a better place to live. So if you do it wisely and prudently, you can you can obviously uh, have a great success there. Yeah, I would agree with everything Bill said. I and mean, provide good public services at an affordable price. I mean, we have a great police department. We have strong fire services. Our township um, public works department does a great job of keeping the township looking good. And we do it all, and Bill and his people do it all at a very, very affordable price. 
Well, Michael, this question is for you. Are you ready to move to Chesterbrook? I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm shopping around the offers. You know, I will say, uh, you know, Upper Worthington reminded me they have the Wegmans. And so, you know, I don't know. It's pretty, pretty tough to match. I got to we Joe's. Yeah, well, see, we have Traders and we have Wegmans. I mean, Bill, Bill didn't mention we're like, right. a, like a mile and a half from King of Prussia Mall. Yep. Yeah, it's not the same. You know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to go slumming in Chesterbrook yet. I'm still thinking about it. But no, seriously, guys, congratulations on whatever it is you're doing that is uh, earning the, uh, the accolades that you've earned. And uh, good luck next year. Thank you. Thank you. And we, we accept the challenge for next year from anyone who <laughs> wants to bring it on. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.